good morning. It's good to be with you on this summer day. I hope that uh, you're having a great summer, that you're getting some time with friends and family. For those of you joining us online from the mountains, just know that we greatly resent you <laughs> as, as we swelter here in Atlanta. It's been, uh, it's been pretty hot lately. You know, trying to preach during a summer series is usually sort of an open-ended process. You just sort of find something you're interested in and then just kind of go with it. There's no rhyme or reason week to week. As a well-known preacher once said, I have a great sermon, I just need a text. Well, because we're in quest, this summer is a little different because we're moving through each week and once you find out the week that you're scheduled to preach, you already have a text. So I remember seeing this July 10th date and seeing Ezra and Haggai and thinking, hmm, great. <laughs> you know, it's not hard to tell an Old Testament story because there's so many great, interesting details, but the thing that's always in the preacher's mind is how hard is it gonna be to apply what was going on in 520 BC with what's going on in 2022? Well, I have good news. I have a text and a sermon. And it's so relevant that it could have been written yesterday. In fact, as I read it, I thought, Haggai must actually live in Atlanta and not Jerusalem. So this morning, we're going to look at the first chapter of the book of Haggai. And as you're turning in your Bibles and trying to find this very short little book, only 38 verses, let me kind of set the context for us. So approximately 66 years before these verses were written, if you remember our story, Jerusalem was overwhelmed by the armies of Babylon. The temple that King Solomon had built was completely destroyed, and as we've heard in the last few weeks, the people were marched off across the desert to exile in Babylon. However, in 539 B.C., the situation has changed. This is the period of the rise of the Medes and the Persians and the leadership of King Cyrus. And King Cyrus makes a declaration that the people can go back to Jerusalem. They can leave exile and they can return home. And when they arrived, I am sure that they were excited to be back home. This is what had been prayed for for generations. They promptly built the foundation of what we call the second temple. They built the foundation of the temple. However, after the foundation was built, they essentially lost their enthusiasm and they took a 16-year pause. And that's where we pick up the story this morning with Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shetiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. 
Is it time for yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shetiel, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. Now we know that most of the prophets that we've been studying, they focus on calling people to repentance for flagrant acts of evil. We know all the idol worship that was going on and the Lord says, if you don't turn from your ways, something terrible is going to happen. You're gonna be judged for your actions. Haggai, on the other hand, does not refer to these type of issues that have been discussed earlier by the other prophets, issues that can sometimes be hard for us to relate to. Instead, Haggai's focus is on an issue that is clearly applicable to our lives and leaps off the pages, the apathy of God's people. We often assume that apathy toward the things of God is sort of a recent invention. We sort of blame it on the secular times we're living in. However, as we can clearly see from the words of Haggai, apathy was around way back in 520 B.C. Apathy is not just a cultural phenomenon. It's not just something that's going on in the post-COVID American church. Apathy is part of the human condition. Apathy ha can be seen in people throughout the ages. In fact, way back in 1560, as John Knox, the father of Presbyterianism, was leading the Reformation in Scotland, I learned that one of the books that he used most to call people to revival was the book of Haggai. Apathy is nothing new. The people of God had, have always been prone to wonder, prone to distraction with our minds and our hearts and our time. So this morning, we want to reflect on our minds, our heart, and our time as we hear Haggai say to us 
through the centuries give careful thought to your ways. For 16 years they have said the time has not yet come to build the Lord's house. The timing is just not right. But the Lord, he's not buying it. Because it's evident that they have been prioritizing other things during those 16 years. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, we're not exactly sure the precise translation of this word that's translated here as paneled houses. Some translations call it uh, cedar-covered or wainscoted or even vaulted roof. Do you watch those home makeover shows? Any, any of you watch those? Okay, full disclosure, I get sucked into those. Uh, especially when football season isn't going on and, you know, we, we go through the channels and eh, I don't want to watch that, I don't want to watch that. We've streamed every show that we've heard is good and, and then we land on HTV and I, I go, okay, I'll watch it. And I have noticed that almost all of these home makeover shows have similar design elements. Have you noticed that? They have shiplap walls and a farm sink and an open concept kitchen it's the same thing over and over. They always have a huge island. And what God is essentially saying here is you don't have time or money for my house, but you can afford an open concept kitchen makeover. <laughs> you can afford the latest, greatest of everything, but you can't quite get around to my house. Essentially, paneled houses could be translated as misplaced priorities. Give careful thought to your ways. Because you have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. I don't think any objective observer would describe our time as people that are content, satisfied, and fulfilled. Probably they would use words like anxious, restless, and empty. We devote ourselves to our work and investment, but then it seems like at the end, we just never have enough to show for it. We never seem to have our fill. We are never satisfied. The Amazon truck is barely out of the driveway and we're ordering something else. The more we get, the more we want and it's never enough. And the text says we put our money in a purse with holes in it, which sounds a lot like inflation. Our desire is for more and more and bigger and better and we devote all of our time and resources to our career and our image in hope that the next thing will bring us joy and it just never works, at least not for very long. Give careful thought to your ways because our whole system is built on the idea that we never have our fill. 
We never have our fill. We always want more stuff. It's part of living in a consumeristic society. In contrast to Jesus, who said, Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. As I said, it sounds like Haggai might be living in Atlanta. If there's one word I most often hear in conversations, it's the word busy. Well, how are y'all? Well, we're, we're super busy. I wish we could do that, but it's a busy season. We have a super busy summer planned, and then the fall is going to be really busy. And then in the spring is really crazy busy with graduations. And then the cycle starts all over again. Busy is our go-to response for every season and every situation. I always thought busyness was a recent invention of our modern times, but apparently they were busy way back in 500 B.C. So if we're going to give careful thought to our ways, I think we have to honestly ask ourselves, why am I so busy? Now, obviously, some of it is a bit out of our control. Our pace can't be avoided. It's imposed upon us by some of life's circumstances. But I would suggest that most of our busyness is self-imposed. We're super busy because our five-year-old is playing travel soccer and baseball and learning Mandarin Chinese. Well, that's impressive. How exactly did your five-year-old sign up for all that? Let's be honest with ourselves. For the most part, we are super busy because we have chosen to be super busy. We have signed up for all these things. We have signed up because we are afraid of missing out. We are afraid that the next activity will be the thing that gives us joy and fills that God-sized hole in our heart. In most cases, we are not the victims of our busy schedule. We are the creator of them. We are living on a treadmill of our own creation. You know, one of the ways at Peachtree, we've talked about how do you measure if someone is growing spiritually, and we've said this GRACE acronym, that they're more grateful, more available, more curious, and more encouraging. Are we more available? Or are we just busier and busier? And so we're too busy and distracted to build the Lord's house, which is in ruin. In 1975, two-thirds of Americans said they had a great deal of confidence in the church. Now that number has fallen to 37%. People have lost confidence in a lot of institutions, and the church is included, because 
there's so much hypocrisy. There's celebrity, celebrity preachers who have had scandals. There's so much focus on politics. There's uh, apathetic Christians. So many things have caused people to lose confidence in the church. And so Haggai's words speak to us through the centuries this morning. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. He is saying, I know that you're busy. I know that you're distracted by your paneled houses, but if you are my people, will you make your relationship with me your first priority? You know, God didn't really need a building. God wasn't standing around in the desert looking for a place to sleep. However, the building of the temple represented his presence with his people and his desire to be with them and their desire to be with him. God was well aware that this second temple was going to be destroyed in 70 AD, never to be rebuilt. However, what they were doing was significant because they were being present with God and their presence with him and their work would eventually lead to Christ's presence in our heart. As Paul wrote a half century later, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. A church built on the foundation of the prophets, prophets like Haggai. God is calling us his people to be present with him he is not so much concerned about the building as he is concerned about us the builders the building is just a representation of his presence with us the words of Haggai are so applicable because God is still looking for builders among an apathetic people he created his kingdom in such a way that we are not just called to sit in his building, but to participate in the building process. We are not just called to attend worship, but to become worshipers. And that is why we say we are joining Christ daily. We are living life as kingdom builders. And as the kingdom was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophet, it is now being built through us and our participation. N.T. Wright says that what you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbors yourself will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly or a little more bearable until the day when we leave it behind. 
They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. Is that how you view your life? Do you see the activities that make up your busy schedule as having a divine purpose? That's how we should see them because if we are called to the restoration of all things, to be part of building for God's kingdom, it matters today and it matters into the future. God said he wants us to be builders so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. I was in Malawi a few weeks ago and while I was there, I wanted to go visit a church that I had, I had visited before. It's in Bondaway and it was a Presbyterian mission station that was constructed in the late 1800s. The missionaries served there for years until finally malaria ran them to higher altitude. Jack and Mamie Martin came here as missionaries from Scotland and soon after they were married in 1921. And for seven years, they served an area of 2,000 square miles. And during that short period of time, they started a hospital, a carpentry shop, a, a boarding school, a leper colony, and had their first child. And Jack began building this church, which is still there today. However, in 1928, Mamie pregnant with their second child died of blackwater fever a complication of malaria jack didn't feel that he could care for their toddler in malawi so he went back to scotland he took her back to live with his parents and then he came back for two more years to complete the church by 1930 he and a hundred malawians had built the church and it was dedicated in Mamie's memory. At the dedication, Jack stood in this pulpit where I stood a few weeks ago and he preached a sermon. And the Malawian said that in describing Mamie that through her work, though her work has ceased, her words and character still preach after her. Her life was like salt and light. There's now a new church building there and there's a school and uh, there's a medical clinic that's still going on today. And in fact, her family started a, a foundation that sends girls to school all these years later. They were builders whose labor was not in vain. They were people who were building for God's kingdom. God takes pleasure in builders because the kingdom of God is not just something that we watch happen. It's something that we do with God. He created it that way because he knows that we are wired in such a way that we need a divine purpose. We need to be part of his work of restoration. God is building the kingdom through us and he's building it in us. He is using our, our participation to transform us into the people that he has called us to be. He created us to be that way, and that happens when we move from being a casual observer to becoming a builder. Too many of us, especially 
since COVID have allowed ourselves to become casual observers. And God is looking for builders because his house won't get rebuilt on a foundation of apathy. If we are going to be part of his great kingdom project, we need your participation. And you know what? You need it as well. Because as long as we spend our days busily with our paneled houses ignoring the ruin of his house, we will never find our fill. We will always feel empty. For many years, Marilyn and Cromwell Evans greeted at the front door until Cromwell passed in 2019. And in the past couple of months, I have seen Marilyn back greeting at the door. And I know she's back because she wants to be here in the community and participate and serve, but she's also here because she knows she needs it. Because when we are involved in the building process, God fills us. You know, it's midsummer, it's vacation season, we're scattered, we're enjoying time with our friends and family, but fall is coming and as we say, it's going to be a busy season. So how can we make some plans now to go up into the mountains and bring down timber to build my house? I'm not much of a home repair guy, not much of a yard work guy. I'm not like Chuck Roberts who rolls in on Monday and tells us about how he put out 500 bales of pine straw by himself. I like to provide that opportunity for other people. <laughs> but during the first year of the pandemic, Rebecca and I were you know, spending a lot of time at home and we decided that we would really enjoy watching football outdoors. And so we decided we wanted to put a big flat screen TV outside on our porch. So one day I announced that I think I can hang it myself. <laughs> that was sort of Rebecca's. <laughs> she had this look of skepticism. She said, you are going to hang a 56-inch TV by yourself. Well, now my manhood's questioned, right? And so I had some doubts, but I needed, I needed to be equipped to do it. So I went to YouTube, and I watched this YouTube video, and this guy made it look so easy. And I learned, you know, the kind of bracket I needed, and I, I learned about the special bolts I needed, and I learned that I needed a hammer drill. And so, you know, like a hammer drill on brick. I mean, that's going to be fun or it's going to be disastrous. But he made it look so easy. So I borrowed a hammer drill. I got everything I needed. Rebecca was a nervous wreck when I started banging away on the brick wall. But as amazingly enough, I did it and it turned out great top five household achievement in 35 years of marriage. <laughs> but it worked because I got equipped. I took the time to learn what I needed to know. And that's what some of us need to do to really become builders for the kingdom. We need to be equipped. So I'm going to give you a little sneak preview to this fall. We're going to be launching Sunday night classes and we're going to have great food and great teachers and 
a variety of topics. You can explore the basics of Christianity. You can take a walk through the New Testament. You can learn how to engage in your work and culture with your faith. You're going to be able to learn how to connect some of the theological dots. Some great classes, an opportunity to be equipped. And that would be a great commitment to make. Say, hey, I'm going to be here this fall to be a part of these classes so that God can equip me to be a builder. Now, some of us need to be equipped, and some of us just need to use the tools that we already have. Some of us have gotten out of the habit of being here and serving. I want to be clear with you. We need you. We need you to serve in children's ministry. We need you to serve with students. We need you to be at the door and just say hello. In all honesty, our volunteers have not kept up as our attendance has come back. We have had some Sundays in the spring when we couldn't take up an offering because we didn't have enough ushers. Our church is thriving. We are in a great place, but we need your participation. And you know what? You need it as well because God uses what we do together for his house to fill our souls, to give our lives purpose and meaning and community. God uses the building process to change the lives of the builders. We want you to be equipped, but we also want you to pick up a hammer and join us because we think God is doing something special in this community. But that can't happen on a foundation of apathy. It only happens when God's house is our first priority. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. <clears throat> My hope is that we will be like those people who heard Haggai's words, that we will feel God's presence, that we will join in the building process and that we will experience him in new ways as we carefully consider our ways. This is the Lord's house. And like his people of long ago, he is calling us for the opportunity of a lifetime to join him. There is no time to waste the time is now. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this calling that you have on our lives, that you have uh, invited us to be builders, that you have invited us to not just watch what is happening, but to participate, to join you, to be your people. And Lord, you have given us this opportunity to be your people, to build for your kingdom and also to change us to be the people that you've called us to be. So, Lord, inspire us, lead us, and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>